morning. Uh, these transitions are always weird. We're not sure exactly when to go right after the video and hi. It's uh, really cool. Great seeing all six of you in the audience. Woo! I would uh, love to hear an amen from an audience. I can't hear it online. We're glad you're here uh, online, though. You can shout an amen in your house. God can hear it uh, whenever you're feeling God moving today. And I hope that God is moving in your heart and your life. <laughs> Let's start this morning by shouting out. What do we do? Love God and love others. What do we say? I love God and I love you. Man, that is so true, and I hope that is true every day of your life. I love that that is our mission statement officially. It is so cool uh, that we have something that is memorable, and we've said it so many times. Now we're working on over two years we've been shouting that out, and it's such a blessing. We're continuing in our series today, and, and uh, the title for today's message is Keeping It Real. Uh, because Jesus is going to face a couple of people who are trying to add different kinds of rules to him. And he's going to say, hey, 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 you guys are a little bit out of bounds. Let me show you, strip it down and show you what it's really, really about. And so that's what we're going to see today. In uh, Mark chapter 7 is where we're going to launch from. If you're with your Bibles, grab your Bibles. If not, you'll see the verses here online. Mark chapter 7, the Pharisees had, and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem, they gathered around Jesus and they saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled. That is, they were unwashed, ceremonially unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they can't come from the marketplace, they don't eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions like this, such as washing of a cup or the pitchers or kettles. And so here, another official delegation comes up from Jerusalem uh, to talk to Jesus, to sort of check out uh, what Jesus is doing. Now, this is the second such delegation. We saw one in Mark chapter 3, and we saw that they had pronounced a pretty harsh condemnation on Jesus. And so, but, but Jesus didn't stop, and he continues to do ministry. And so Jerusalem sends more Jewish leaders to say, like, what is going on up there? What is this Jesus thing all about? And so they, they want to come and evaluate Jesus' ministry. And that's okay. It's always important to evaluate spiritual things. The, God never tells us to just take things on blind faith. In fact, the, the Bible commends those people who study the scriptures dil diligently and hold fast to the things that are true. And so it's okay that they're coming to evaluate Jesus' ministry. The problem is they've come to evaluate with a decision already having been made. And we can tell by their interaction with him that this is the case. And the other problem is that they come to evaluate not based on the word of God, which they had, the entire Old Testament, but they start to judge Jesus or evaluate Jesus based on the traditions of the elders. So what had happened is God gave the law, and then the pastors of the time over the next hundreds and hundreds of years, they started to give other rules and other laws, and the people started to follow these ones as well. So much so, by the time we get to Jesus, they're following these rules as much as they were following the Bible. And in people's heart, they were equal. So if you broke the Bible, you were sinning. But if you broke this tradition, you were also sinning. And here's where Jesus is going to say, hey, let's keep it real. Here's what we're talking about. And so uh, their issue here started from there was a biblical mandate in the Old Testament for the priests to ceremonially wash their hands. So it's not about being clean. It's about coming before God and saying, I'm going to clean my hands and my feet before they entered into the tabernacle. So that's what the Old Testament law says, that a priest has to wash his hands and feet before he goes into the, into the, the holy place of God. And what had happened from there is from that position, 
over a few hundred years, all these rules came about so much so that a regular Jewish person then had to wash their hands, so wash them clean normally, and then before you started to eat, you would dip them in uh, like holy water and ceremonially clean them, sort of hearkening back to this priest thing. So that's where the tradition had come from. And so the, the Pharisees, as they're evaluating Jesus' ministry, they're zinging him, not on disobeying God's word, but on disobeying man's traditions. And this is, this is a problem that Jesus is going to have. Now, uh, it's easy for us to like, look at this religious leaders, and I, I know we always say the Pharisees, like, oh, they're so, they're so outwardly religious. They're, they're such hypocrites. They're so phony with all their rules and this kind of man-made-up stuff. But, but I think it's, it's, it's probably pretty easy to get to the place where they were. It's really easy to, and it's subtle how you allow rules that aren't the Bible to become things that you're following and you expect other people to follow. And it may seem really spiritual even in the beginning. So it might come something like this. Many rituals or traditions, they seem to be built on good spiritual logic. So here's what it might sound like for the Pharisees. Doesn't God want us to honor him in everything we do? Doesn't God command the priests to wash their hands before serving him, before coming into his presence? Yeah. Shouldn't every faithful follower of God have the same devotion as the priests? So shouldn't we then also take every opportunity to make ourselves pure before God? Isn't that good? And, and doesn't God in the Psalms say this? Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. When, you que when the questions are put this way, it's easy to say yes, 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 and you arrive at the same conclusion. Of course we should ceremonially wash our hands before we, we serve food or before we come and eat before the Lord. It would be really easy to come to that conclusion. But, but if... At the end of that, the word of man or the tradition of man or a ritual that people have come up with has the same weight as the word of God, then you're wrong. And it doesn't matter the spiritual logic that you got there to get it. If you think that the words of man have the same weight as the words of God or the tradition of man have the same weight as the tradition or the word of God, then you are wrong. And this is what Jesus is saying. Now for us, keeping it real, do we do this? Can we honestly take a look at our own lives, our own church, our own Christianity, and ask if maybe we're doing some of these same things? I know that we've been accused by outsiders of that, that the church is all sort of for rules and it's not about Jesus so much, and, and even some outsiders have said that. And is it okay for me to not get defensive and said, instead be, be sort of reflective and say, can this be us? I don't know about you, but for a while, uh, when, when we weren't serving in ministry, we were going to church uh, at, at different various churches just as regular members for about 18 months. And I remember uh, we were going to one church where we would go on Saturday, Saturday night. And then on Sunday, I'd feel a little guilty because I wasn't at church on Sunday. I've been pastoring for 30 years, you know, 25 years. And so on Sunday, I'd, I'd feel a little guilty. So maybe have some of us started to say, like, yeah, you know, it's not right if someone doesn't worship on Sunday. If we come up with this rule that, and then if we don't do it, we feel guilty if we had worship on Saturday. Has that become one of those kind of rules for us? Or another one I think that we have, 
uh, and I wish we didn't, but I think that we do, is wearing the right thing for church, right? And I, I really was going to come today in a wife beater and shorts and no shoes, and I couldn't do it because I felt guilty. Now, be honest. If, and it wasn't part of the sermon, it, was, it wasn't one of the illustrations, if I was in shorts and a wife beater, would that make you feel uncomfortable? Would it make you feel like I'm doing something wrong? Honestly, yeah, a little bit, right? I, now, some of you are watching like, no, do it, do it, do it. If Hannah and Mark were here, they'd be like, yeah, don't wear a shirt, you know? But, but quite honestly, I would feel a little uncomfortable, not just because I have really ugly feet. Uh, and, and one of the reasons I really do wear, I, I never go on stage uh, in shorts because I have really ugly legs. That's a problem. But I also have maybe a little bit of this spiritual hangover where I think that, yeah, maybe shorts is, is not right. But I'll tell you, if you think that that's sinful, then you've placed a tradition of man that's certainly not in the Bible. I mean, they were wearing dresses. What if I came up with a dress? Come on now. You'd be like, ah, freaking out, right? You got to kick up in a dress. Oh, a robe, sorry. Do we have these kind of things? Maybe, maybe do we exalt a particular theology? Maybe, maybe you exalted reform theology or liberation theology above the word of God, so much so that people that don't adhere to your theology then are somehow sinful rather than just the word of God a theology has overtaken. Maybe, maybe it's something like a political stance. How dare a Christian? A Christian can't take that political stance. So a tradition of man then is outweighed the word of God. Or maybe it's in the, I mean, you look down, at, you're one of those ESV folks, and you look down on people who use the message. They go, oh, man, they're probably not Christians even, right? How dare they read the message version? Oh, it's King James all the way. That's what Jesus spoke. Right? Not Jesus is speaking in English at all. Maybe it's, it's something like worship. Like modern day, oh, those modern day hymns, they're so carnal. Uh, it's all about the hymns. The modern day songs are, are the carnal ones, right? And so we've, we've placed these traditions above, above Scripture or on par with Scripture. And anytime we've done that, then Jesus says we're mistaken. Not everything in the Christian life is about right and wrong. There are some things, and I would say many things, that are simply a matter of conscience. It's simply a matter of, of things that if God puts it on your heart, do it, and if not, then, then don't do it. The Pharisees were adding extra rules to the Bible, and Jesus opposed that. And that, notice they weren't just add, adding the extra rule for themselves, because I think that's okay. If you felt like you wanted to wear a suit to everyday church, then awesome, wear the suit! And if you wanted to wear a tank top because it was hot, then awesome, wear a tank top. The problem was the Pharisees weren't just making the rules for themselves. They were saying other people had to do them, and if they don't, then they're sinful. So if you want to wear a suit here, awesome, come in your suit, but don't look down on someone who's not wearing a suit. And if you want to come in a tank top, don't look down on someone who's wearing a suit, like, oh, they don't know the spirituals. Don't look down on anyone. That's the problem of Pharisees. is isn't that they were holding themselves to this this conscience standard that they had, it was rather they were imposing that standard on somebody else, and that's not what the Word of God said they should be doing. If you want to do it, fine, do it. Do it to the Lord. That's what the Bible says. If you want to eat, eat to the Lord. 
If you don't want to do it, then don't do it, but don't do it to the Lord, these matters of conscience. So the Pharisees continue on. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the traditions of the elders? They're a little miffed by this. Instead, they're eating their food with these defiled hands. And Jesus replies, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you all, that you're hypocrites. It's written this way in Isaiah. These people, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and you're holding on to human traditions. They try to call Jesus out and his disciples on the behavior based on the customs that are around. The scriptures don't ever command ritual washing before the meals. That was something that had come through the tradition. And so Jesus doesn't mess around. He says, I keeping it real, shoots right at their hearts, and says, here's the problem with the rules. The problem when you add rules is that you distance yourself from God. He said, and this is what he's saying in the scripture. Pull that scripture right back up. He says, as you're uh, holding on to the commands of God, uh, uh, of, of people, you're honoring me with your lips, but their hearts are far from me. See, if we become all about the rules or all about these customs or these cultures, then those kind of things drive our heart away from God. These things that are non-issues, and and when we make the non-issues the issues, it, it takes away the closeness that God desires. And Jesus says, they honor me with their lips, and their hearts are far from me. Now, it is absolutely possible to have the image of being religious and spiritual, but to be actually far from God. Ask any pastor, have they ever looked really spiritual on a Sunday and they just had a fight with their wife on the way here? I never do. My wife and I don't drive together. We drive separate. We learned on, I don't want to be a hypocrite and pretend that it's all spiritual when I got to fight with my wife. We don't fight on the way to church ever. We don't go together to church. <laughs> Two cars solves the problem. I'll be always like, hurry up, babe, you're late. Oh. Get mad, get in a fight. But on, get up here, love one another, love God, love others. That was before this church. Since this church, I've been perfectly holy. Don't worry, a leadership board, as uh, they're assessing my uh, you know, current status here as the pastor. <laughs> but I think it's absolutely possible to appear righteous, but to not be inside. And we, we look at these religious leaders and we tisk tisk at them, right? Oh, look at these guys. Jesus calling them out. Boom! Keeping it real, Jesus. Honoring you with their lips, hearts fart from you. But I would wonder if God would say the same thing to us. You were watching online. Were you watching and attending this service, and yet your heart is far from me, God says. Yeah, you attended church. Great. But was your heart far from God? Would God say that they read their Bible yet it doesn't pierce their heart. They pray, but with empty, faithless words. They give offering, but it's out of obligation, not out of joy. When you're online and you're hitting that that donate button, is there a smile in your heart? Or is it like, oh, again? 
They serve in ministry, but they do it out of duty, not out of love. They sing out loud, but their heart is far from me. I'll stand, arms raised, and I look spiritual, but is my heart far from God? Now that's a question that we each can ask ourselves. I'm not asking it in any judgment, because that seems to be the Pharisees' problem, right? I'm asking it as, a, as a, a question to me and as someone who loves you for you to ask that question of yourself because that's what Jesus is saying to these people. So I'm, I'm struck here. Sort of like a one-two punch. Like first adding rules to appear spiritual and I think I've probably done that. And second, living in a way that looks spiritual but actually is only on the outside and I worry that I've done that. But I don't want to be there. If this is true and I can take an honest look, I don't want to stay there. If that happened this morning, where I was, I was just trying to stand there and look spiritual, if that was the case, and it wasn't because there wasn't anyone here in the service, so that's the nice part about online. I wasn't impressing anybody when I was standing up and had my arms up that, you know, they weren't even looking at me in the back in the, in the video part over there. Nobody sees. So I, I think, okay, I think that one's good, God. My heart was there. But we need to make this assessment. Because let's be brave enough and honest enough to ask, at least ask the question, is this me? Because the end result of extra rules and false fronts is the creation of distance between you and God. Their lips honor me, but their heart is far from me. And God doesn't want that. See, God desires to be near to you. God loves you and wants to be close to you. And Jesus continues. And he continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their mother and father should be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares what might have been used to help their father and mother is Corbin, that is, devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father and mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you've handed down. And uh, you do many things that are just like that. So in this idea, they were justifying their actions by, by making it godly. And what they were doing is, they were saying is, uh, so let's say I, God tells me to take care of financially my parents, and I have a million dollars. What they would do is they would say, this million dollars, that's actually God's money. I'm going to devote this money to God. And I'm uh, sorry, Mom and Dad, I can't help you out. I've devoted the money to God. It's God's money. Man, and I look so spiritual by doing that, right? I have totally donated a million dollars to God. And what happens, they don't take care of their parents because I've been so godly, their parents die, and they're like, oh, I'm going to actually take this money back from God. Now it's been used for him. It was his, now he wants me to use it to be a blessing to others in my own life. And so they would sort of like try to to nullify God's word by even looking hyper-spiritual about it. And, And Jesus is like, no, that's not how it is. You need to stop with that kind of stuff. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him, and he said, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it's what comes out of a person that defiles them. And after he left the crowd and entered a house, the disciples were like, what are you talking about? And they asked him about the parable, and, and he says, are you so dull? Like, what's wrong with you? He asked, don't you see that nothing that enters into a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, it goes into their stomach, and then out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods would be clean. And he went on and he says, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it it is from within, out of a person's heart, 
that evil thoughts come, that sexual immorality or theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, or folly. All these evils come from inside that defile the person. Now, if you're following real fast in your Bible, you'd notice verse 16 was missing. Uh, Don't panic. Uh, It's not the Illuminati taking out verses from the Bible. Uh, Believe it or not, some people have ever asked me about that, or is there some conspiracy from the Catholic Church or something? No. Uh, That verse is missing is because the best manuscripts don't have it. But some of the ancient manuscripts do. And that verse would have read, if anyone has ears, let him hear. Now, some some manuscripts have that part, some don't. Uh, And so that's why it's not included. The translators of um, most of our major translations don't think that that verse is actually in the original. And so that's why there's not a 16. Don't worry, no conspiracy. Anyway, by by the the talk that Jesus is having about the dietary laws here, he's actually changing the entire dietary laws of the Old Testament. Talk about authority. That's like, if you've ever read through the Old Testament, that's like the first half is like all about these laws and what they can't eat. And he tells what kind of things with hooves and and claws and and scales and they can and can't eat and this kind of stuff. And and by doing so, Jesus declares something absolutely new is happening. He just got rid of the dietary law in one sermon. The fundamental principle is, is simple. That eating with unclean hands or any such things wouldn't defile somebody because it's Sin isn't what comes inside of you. Uh, it isn't what comes from the outside in. It's what comes from the inside out. That's where sin comes from. Now, this would have been one of the hugest script flips that Jesus has dropped on anyone, this whole dietary thing. They lived their life this way. They'd been brought up for hundreds and hundreds of years to follow these dietary laws. And so this would have been mind-bending for the listeners. And then Jesus lists this 12-part list that exposes the kind of evil that lives in human hearts. And, and so probably one or two of those, you're like, yeah, a little bit more of that, a little bit less of that one. It's not a complete list. It's just a sample of what lives inside of us. Because we'll be honest, you don't need to travel a long distance to find the source of sin. You don't need to conduct an exhaustive search. You don't need to have some researchers tell you the obvious. All you need to do is search and look into your own heart. You see, sin isn't mud splashed on my clean exterior. It's filth pouring out from inside my own heart. The source is inside, not outside. And we are lost if we're left to our own devices. If it's left to us to fix it, because I can't fix my own insides. But thanks be to God, that he sent Jesus who told me that I could be washed clean on the inside, that he would take my rotten, horrific heart and he would give me a new heart. And I can be made clean by the blood of Jesus. Otherwise, I'd be lost with no hope of rescue. Now, Jesus leaves that place and he goes uh, north up to the vicinity of Tyre He enters a house, and he didn't want anyone to know it, yet he couldn't keep his presence a secret. He's, like, famous. In fact, as soon as uh, she heard about it, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. Now, the woman was Greek. She was born in Syrian Phoenicia. And she begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let the children eat all they want, he tells her, for it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Woo! Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he tells her, 
For such a reply you may go. The demons left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed, and the demon was gone. So Jesus traveled some 50 miles north uh, to visit these Gentile cities. Now this is also unusual because Jesus almost always exclusively ministers to, to cities that are in Israel, to Jewish cities. Now he specifically goes out of there. Now he's in some Gentile cities. Now this is maybe because of his last interaction with the Pharisees. Maybe he's like, hey, you want to see me break another tradition? I'm going up to these cities. Because in Jewish tradition, you can't go into a Gentile city. You can't, you can't eat at Gentile people's houses. You can't hang out with Gentile people, otherwise you'd be unclean. And so it may be, just like he was declaring all the foods are unclean, I mean, clean, it's not about what, maybe he's declaring all the people are clean also. So the same thing I was doing with food, now I'm doing with these Greek people, and he might have been doing it right back to back here, just to make that particular point. Could it be perhaps symbolic that he's wiping away that distinction between clean and unclean people? I would say possibly. Now there's some debate on whether Jesus' response to this lady, she asked him to heal her daughter from demon possession, he seems to call her a dog. And there's some debate on whether this is a harsh statement or not. Because the Jews, the way that they use the word for dog towards Gentiles, it's always in reference to Gentiles. And it's the same way that we use the word for God, uh, for dog, to people we don't like. But we use female dog version of it, bad version word. That's what this literally means. This word, when you call a Gentile a dog, that's what they're talking about. Same, same sort of force as that, that the way we use female dog, bad word. But here... Here's where the debate comes in. Here, this term is actually softened a little bit. So Jesus uses the term for dog, but not like the, the big term for God. He actually uses, he, he calls her a little dog, or he calls her a puppy. And so, uh, so there's this back and forth on how harsh is he being. Is he, is he telling her, like, no, uh, you know, we don't take care of the puppies first. We take care of the kids first and then feed the puppies. Is it that sort of thing? Or is he just still just being harsh and calling her dog? Either way, if he's being harsh, he's testing her faith. But if he's being kind, guess what? He's still just testing her faith. He's wanting to see what her response will be. Because if the, re- the woman had responded, oh, who are you calling a dog? If she'd responded in this way, uh, any other way than she did, showing like arrogance, showing like, oh, you don't know me, defensiveness, then she wouldn't have come uh, she wouldn't have been granted the thing that she came seeking, victory over this, uh, over this demonic possession. See, her humble, faith-filled submission to Jesus brought the victory that she was seeking. Nothing appeals to God more than faith coupled with humility. Ah, let me say that again, maybe just for me. Nothing appeals to God more than faith coupled with humility. And the end result is that Jesus casts out this demon. And this is the first time we see him casting out a demon from afar. He's not even near it. He's just like, demon, go away. And the demon's cast out. And Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre, and he he goes through Sidon, and he goes down back to the Sea of Galilee uh, and into the region of the Decapolis. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and he could hardly talk and they begged Jesus to put his hand on him. And, he, and Jesus took him aside away from the crowd. Jesus put his fingers in the, into the man's ears and then he spits and he touches the man's tongue and he looks up into heaven with a deep sigh and he says, 
or something like that, uh, which means be opened. At this, the man's ears were open, and his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. Now, did you catch that Jesus went to the Decapolis? We heard this city before, the ten-city place. That's where Jesus sent that naked demon-possessed man to go be a missionary, remember? And I wonder if when he, he rolled back into the Decapolis, if he was like, hey, guy, let's meet up for some coffee. Maybe how's it going here? Did he, did he have some prayer time with him and, and some coffee? Like, we don't know. The Bible doesn't say. Are all these people eager for, to meet Jesus and know that he can do miracles because of the ministry of, of that guy, that demon-possessed guy who had been freed and Jesus sent to the city? We don't know. But I can imagine it's something like that. I'm sure it, when here Jesus was there, he probably went to go see Jesus. And I, I can't imagine Jesus ignored him. And there's this like maybe cool thing that happened that isn't even recorded in the Bible. Now, so when I was reading this, I got caught in the Decapolis part, and I and I didn't until like my third or fourth reading through this realize that that in this situation, the, the guy actually didn't ask for help. His friends asked for him. Would you check that out right there? It says, uh, some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly speak, and they begged Jesus to place his hand on them. So the guy's just sitting there, deaf and mute. His friends drag him to Jesus, and they're like, Jesus, you got to help him. They're begging Jesus on behalf of this guy. And that is so cool because this is another example of, of people interceding for people. They came and they brought their friends' needs before Jesus. And it's important that we are praying for our friends as well, that we are doing exactly the same thing. Maybe you know some deaf and blind people. Maybe literally, maybe not even literally, maybe spiritually, figuratively. You know some deaf and blind people. You know some dumb, messed up people. So you got to start bringing them to, to Jesus, first you begging Jesus on their behalf. Jesus, would you heal my friend? Jesus, this is what intercessory prayer is about, praying on behalf of somebody else. This is the powerful, necessary, unseen work of every believer. Look, this isn't going to make any headlines. This is you in your house begging God for year after year after year to save your stepmom who you love dearly. And now 30 years praying for her. Jesus, just turn her heart, open her eyes, meet with her. God, I know she would, she would love you if she just could hear from you. It's important that we're praying for people with a humble heart having the faith to actually ask it. Now, in this, this scenario, Jesus was not practicing the COVID-approved face mask-wearing like, uh, practices. He spit. He put his fingers in his ear. He's touching his tongue. Like, how weird is that? Like, why did he go all through all this, like, weirdness? Rather, he could have just healed the guy. Like, remember that lady? She just touched his robe, and she got healed. This guy's like... <laughs> What the heck? Why the heck would Jesus do this? And that is a really great question. As I say in intensive Bible training, moving on, uh, next question. Like, we don't know. We don't know why Jesus did this. Was, was he just being weird? Was he being interesting? Was he playing on some previous superstition? Or perhaps uh, Jesus used, well, we know that he used many different ways to heal. Sometimes he touched Sometimes it was with a word. Sometimes it was on the cloak. Sometimes he made some mud. Sometimes it was up close, and other times it was far away. And he did it with spit and fingers and ears and, and touching tongues. 
And I, I would guess maybe, this is just a guess, the Bible doesn't say, perhaps he didn't want to be tied down to just one, one method, right? So people say, oh, if you do that method, then you'll be healed. Because it's not about a method or a mantra or a chant. It's rather about the sovereign power of God. That way people wouldn't think that it's some abracadabra spell. If he did the same thing. Perhaps that's why he changed it up, why it was different all the time when he was healing people. We just don't know. And our last portion says this. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone. But the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. And people were overwhelmed with amazement. Man, he's done everything well. They said he even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Now this is a really interesting uh, phrase that Mark uses here because this phrase echoes Isaiah 35, which celebrates God as the one who can open ears and, and bring about song from, from the mute. And so it's, it's a really particular phrase, and, and Mark picks up that same phrase that we see in Isaiah chapter 35 and verse 5. Almost saying like, this is God freeing people, opening up those hearts. So back to our topic here this morning was keeping it real. Now, one thing that I really love about our church, and, and I think this is how, how Jesus loves it, uh, one thing I really like about our church is that we have that mission statement, love God, love others. It's so simple. I mean, there's not any, there's not any spiritual language in there. There's not any, like, uh, you know, sort of like, I don't know, it's pompous anything. There's no fluff. There's no things that aren't Bible. This is ex- like exactly when people ask Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? He says, love God, love others. And I love that about our church, that, that we can follow this kind of thing that is just simply Jesus that we can allow people to, to wear shorts if they want or wear suits if they want, that we can allow people to even read the ESV or the message version, that we can allow people to be who they are. I love that about this church. And when I, I don't get the sense of any condemnation from anyone when, when people are different than them. And I love that. And I don't, I, don't, I don't think there's a false front that this church is trying to add, like, oh, just spiritual language. When the, when the uh, leadership board this last few months was trying to, come up with the vision distinctives for our church. It wasn't about creating spiritual language. It was about saying, like, does this language match who we are as a church? And I love it because I think Jesus loves it. Jesus says, enough with all the, like, fronts. Let's be about reality. Let's be about following the the word clearly and loving people and loving others. Simply Jesus. That's a serious That's what Mark is talking about, and that's what Jesus seems to be indicating today. Let's go ahead and pray, and we're going to worship one last song together. Jesus, I just want to come and pray for our folks and pray for myself that we would find you and and, and meet you when we do. God, it's right now. We don't have to get in a a particular prayer position. We don't have to have the the lights in, in the right way. We don't have to have the right words to say. Maybe we don't know what to say. But we can just come to you honestly. And I love that. Thank you, Jesus. That you're not about the rules. You're about the reason behind the rules. You're about love and care and healing those who are hurting. And thank you, Jesus, that we can step into that. Thank you, Jesus, that you were keeping it real. And not letting the secondary issues become the primary issues. Help us to do the same. And we want to lift this last worship song up to you. Without pretense, without spirituality, not to impress anybody. But I don't want, after this song, for you to say to us that they worship me with their mouths, but their heart is far from us. 
So church, before we sing this, take whatever few seconds you need to say, God, this is about you, not about me, not about the music, not about the place that I'm at, not about the screen or the volume that's next to my TV. It is about you. I want to worship you with my heart and not be far from you. Thank you.